It's great to have you all here today. Isn't it great to be able to have worship, our worship team up here leading us live in an opportunity to honor God? I, I love it very much. You know, as um, we continue to progress through COVID, we keep trying new things, seeing what we can do to make sure that we're, um, you know, honoring God and keeping everyone safe. And so I am so thankful you're here. Everyone who's joined us online, thank you very much for being a part of this day and this opportunity to honor God. Those of you who are here for the first time, whether in person here with us or online, thank you very much for joining us. So I have a, a lot of difficulty seeing from the perspective of another person who is very different from me. So early on in our marriage, um, I struggled a lot with seeing from the perspective of my wife. I don't know if any guys out there uh, recognize that or not. I remember um, we had only been married a few months. We were at my parents' house in Springfield, Missouri, and my wife had been out shopping with my mother-in-law. She didn't know how dangerous that was at the time. She was still inexperienced, right? But they had been to this place called Cardin's Insurance Salvage. It was in Springfield, Missouri, and you could buy just absolutely anything in Cardin's Insurance Salvage. And so she comes back to my parents' house with all of these. They were, you know, basically in a little, little knickknacks, things for the kitchen, things for the house. But she was so excited about all these things that she had found. And she wanted to show them to me so that I could be excited with her. And in my mind, all I'm thinking is, okay, well, you got a couple of things at the store. Isn't that great? That's wonderful. What I didn't know then is that my wife is very frugal and she loves to get things that are important to us and also at a great deal. But I was like, I didn't, I didn't get it at all. Then a few months later, she's pregnant with our first child. We're at some convention and we are uh, standing outside our hotel waiting to go to the convention center and we're waiting on a bus, right? And so she's pregnant, and she starts getting really nauseous. And so she turns to me, and she said, Doug, would you run into the gift shop and get me a, can a candy bar? And so I go into the gift shop, even though I'm feeling the pressure of getting on the bus, and I get a candy bar. Do you think I got a candy bar that she liked or I liked? Anyway, I got a candy bar. I bring it to her, and, it's, and she looks at it like she could throw up just by looking at this candy bar. And she says, could you go in and get me a Snickers? I can't eat that candy bar. I'm like, a candy bar is a candy bar, right? I mean, what difference is Of course, my dad's there, the nicest guy you would ever meet. And my dad immediately goes in and gets her a Snickers bar and brings her back out. I struggle with seeing life from the perspective of somebody else who's very, very different from me, whether it's somebody that is the opposite sex of me or if it's somebody who speaks a different language, if it's somebody who comes from a completely different culture, somebody who has a completely different philosophy of me. I just struggle. And part of my problem in this is I think you should see life the way I see life. And so I'm not all that interested in trying to see life from your perspective. And it gets me in trouble a lot. Whether it's in my marriage, it's in my neighborhood, it's in the community that I live in, or with the people that I work with, I just struggle with seeing life from the perspective of other people who are very different from me. I'm guessing some of you understand exactly what I'm talking about because you struggle with it as well. And you see what some people believe or think or how they act and they're so different from you and you just kind of shake your head like, I, I, don't, I don't get this at all. And it's especially difficult for us 
when people are so very different. They come from a different culture. They're ethnically different from us. They have a different color of skin than us. It just makes it so very difficult for us. And we oftentimes think, you know what? It's just not even worth it. They need to see life from my perspective. But the problem you and I run into, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, is we run into the teachings of Jesus. And so I take my desire to not want to have to be able to, you know, get along or understand other people, and then I read things like Jesus says, love your enemy. Or he says, forgive, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. Or he says things like, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Or pray for those who persecute you. And suddenly we run into these teachings of Jesus which are very different from the way I happen to feel or even want to treat other people around me, especially those people who are very, very different from me. And I listen to those teachings of Jesus and I say, how am I supposed to do that? That's just too difficult for me to do. Well, thankfully for all of us, Jesus, through his example, but also Jesus through the stories and the teachings that he gives to us, helps us to have an understanding and learn how I can begin to see life from the perspective of somebody else. So we're in this series entitled Jesus and the Marginalized. What we're doing is we continue this year through the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at some of the different stories of encounters of Jesus with people who in that day and age were very marginalized, whether by the Jewish community or by the Roman community. And so we've taken a look at some of these different people and how Jesus reacted and responded to those people. We talked about children. We talked about those who have different religious beliefs than us, the Gentiles, right? We talked last week, Lucas did for us, about those who are poor, And so today we encounter Jesus really using as the hero of the story someone that if you were a Jew, you hated these people because they were so ethnically different from you. And what Jesus does in this story is he brings us face to face with the love of God, the love that God has for each and every one of us. And so today... We specifically take a look at this Jesus and the marginalized with those who are racially and ethnically different from us, whoever we happen to be. And I'll I'll just be real honest with you up front, okay? This is a very hot topic in our community and our culture today, okay? I recognize that. And I'm going to be very sensitive to that. But you and I know that there are certain words that you use when you talk about racial differences that stir up in us some things that are really hard you know when I talk about when I use words like systemic racism or black lives matter or cancel culture you know or being woke and any other numbers of terms I I know and I understand that that's very difficult it stirs things up in us that that makes our view of other people uh, really challenged But yet here's Jesus telling us a story. And in the midst of that story, he takes it from the impersonal, them, whoever that group of people happens to be, right? 
He takes it from the very personal and he teaches us through a story how to make it very personal and real to every single one of us. And the key for us today is simply this, that changing your perspective when you do that, what you discover is how to show the mercy of God. When you and I can learn to step into the shoes of somebody else, it teaches us how to discover the mercy of God and being able to show that to other people. So I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be at today. We're going to be again in verse 25, and we're going to take a look at, I'm guessing it's a story you're familiar with, even if it's not a story you know of or where you can even find it in the Bible. But it's a crucial story for you and I to learn from. So I'm going to start reading in verse 25. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So we have an expert in the law, meaning the law is the Mosaic law, okay, Ten Commandments kind of stuff. This was a guy, maybe your version uses the word um, lawyer, there may be another term, but this was a, a guy who spent his whole life studying the law. He could quote it, he knew it, he understood it, he could interpret it. He's standing up there, and it uses the phrase to test Jesus. It's this idea of he's trying to poke the imperfections and demonstrate and prove that this guy really isn't all that. Of course, Jesus knows everybody's motives, and so he's not turned off by that. In fact, he recognizes here's a great opportunity to not only teach this guy a valuable lesson, but all of those who happen to be listening teach them a lesson. And so Jesus turns to him and says, well, what's written? <laughs> Which of course, to an expert in the law, with all that pride, you can't just say, well, I'm not certain, Jesus. What do you think? You've got to answer that question. And the answer he gives, love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's profound that all of the law and prophets are brought to those two things. It's, it's amazing. It's astonishing. And that's a whole nother message. But he says to Jesus, well, here's what it is. And Jesus says, you're right. You answered correctly. You get a gold star. You did good, right? And so we go on there, verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So to justify himself means he, he wants to look good in front of other people. He wants to make sure everybody sees him as being righteous. And it's... It's hard to know, is he wanting to justify himself in front of all those other people, you know, so he doesn't look bad because he's the expert in the law? Or could it possibly be that he's wanting to justify himself personally in the way he chooses to treat other people? In other words, at the heart of what's happening here is this idea of who is my neighbor? Because to, to a, a good Jew, the understanding of neighbor was somewhat restricted. 
Okay, so what you have here is this concept or understanding if you're a Jew, particularly if you're an expert in the law, that a neighbor would be qualified as being either a good Jew, a God-fearing Jew, or a, a Gentile who had converted to Judaism. Everybody else was outside the scope. In other words, he knew and understood that if Jesus was a good teacher of the law, he would restrict who actually a neighbor is. That's in his mind. Jesus' answer, though, and the story that he tells, it really gets to the heart of this whole message. And honestly, I mean, if we're being true to ourselves, we all would like to exempt some people from being in the category of neighbor. Right? I bet you have somebody in your life, in your past, in your present, that you would like to be able to say, well, let's not put them in the neighbor category, right? Because it just makes life way too difficult. And yet Jesus doesn't allow that. He tells this astonishing story, and the story begins in verse 30. So he asked the question, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So he, Jesus begins the story. He lays out the scenario. Here's where the guy's going. He gets attacked by robbers. Now, what's interesting here is Jesus doesn't comment about, you know, the safety of the road the guy traveled or how wise or foolish he was at choosing this particular road all by himself. He just presents it as the guy gets attacked, he's thrown to the side of the road, and he is in desperate need. In other words, to this guy, it is a life or death situation. He doesn't comment on anything else. He just merely presents it as this is a life or death situation. This is a guy who is in desperate need. And so as he goes on to the, through the story, verse 31 he says, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. And if, again, you have to picture this, you got a whole group of people like this, and Jesus is telling the story after the expert of the law has asked this particular question, who is my neighbor? And so what happens is Jesus is telling the story, and when they hear that a priest has gone by, they're thinking, oh, the priest will help him. The priest is a guy who will always do the right kind of thing and always do the good kind of thing. And so their, their spirits lift, because not only is somebody traveling by, but it's somebody who obviously is going to help. But what does he do? He sees the guy, but he walks by on the other side. And then the Levite comes along and they say, well, you know, he's not quite as great as the priest, but he'll help as well. But Jesus says, no, he walks by on the other side as well. It's like the difference between maybe a senior minister and a student minister. That's kind of what we're talking about here, right? You would expect a senior minister to help you out. And if not, Elliot will come by. Elliot's way more sensitive. He'll do a much better job of helping you out. But neither of them do that. But I want you to notice a very important phrase there in both of those. It says, they saw him, but he walked by on the other side. The priest saw him, but he walked by on the other side of the road. The Levites saw him. It's like, how do you see somebody, which they obviously did, and how do you notice the situation that he's in without a willingness to stop? How do you do that? 
It's obvious that those two guys could not see life from the perspective of anyone but themselves. As they're walking down that road, they couldn't see life from the perspective of the man there. They could only see life. We don't know why they didn't stop, right? Jesus doesn't give us any reasons why they didn't stop. There's all kinds of reasons, maybe. All we know is they saw the guy and they walked by on the other side. Why would they have done that? But notice what comes next. Verse 33. Enter the Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for my ex- any extra expense that you may have. Now the struggle is this, that if you're again in this audience and you're all Jewish, the Samaritan is a very unexpected development. You did not expect Jesus to bring up a Samaritan in this story at all. And the reason is, is because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. The Jews thought they were the chosen people of God. The Samaritans thought they were the chosen people of God. The Jews thought you worship in Jerusalem, the, Jew, the Samaritans thought you worshipped at Mount Gerizim. In other words, they were racially, um, religiously, they were culturally different, so different that they hated them, each other. In fact, a Jewish rabbi was known to have said this, he that eats the bread of the Samaritans is like one that eats the flesh of swine. See, to a Jew it was anathema to eat pork. And so this guy was saying, look, if you eat bread with a Jew, uh, Samaritan, in other words, if you have dinner with a Samaritan, it's like you're eating the flesh of pigs. They hated each other. And so to have this particular guy in this story, so you go back to the question of the expert in the law, and he says, who is my neighbor? Do you think he would have put Samaritan in the neighbor box there, you think? Thank you. Somebody's got to be out there, right? Do you think he put the Samaritan in the neighbor box? In fact, I want to look at this. Which for you, we got a neighbor box, a non-neighbor box. Which one for you, who would you put where? Now, don't say it out loud. Don't write it down even if it's embarrassing to you. But which one, who would you put in the neighbor box? And I'm guessing that you're like this religious leader, that you have a couple of people or a couple groups of people that you would have in the non-neighbor box. In other words, saying, I, I don't, God doesn't tell me I need to be nice to these people or do anything for these people. I think it's crucial that we understand who might be in this non-neighbor box. But then Jesus goes on and he finishes the story. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I mean, Jesus is such a master at asking these penetrating, challenging questions. Which one do you think was a neighbor? And I love it that the expert in the law, he couldn't even come, 
bring himself to use the name Samaritan, right? He couldn't even say that. He just said the one who showed mercy, which was even more telling, that he recognized what this guy did and the mercy that he showed him. And then Jesus simply says, go and do likewise. But I want to bring you back to verse 33 again about the Samaritan. It says there, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, this is the third time that word was used. All three of them, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, saw the man. So how was it that the Samaritan saw the man like the other three, but he was willing to do something and to help the guy? How, how is that possible? It's possible because, Jeff, go back to that verse for me. It's possible because it says there, he took pity on him. That word pity is the word compassion. It's this feeling that comes up within us. It's something that comes from the inside that allows us to identify with this other person, even somebody who's so vastly different from me, and not only identify, but that moves me to do something about the desperate need that this particular person has in their life. You see, when we change our perspective, we have the capacity to show mercy to everyone. And this is the teaching of Jesus over and over and over again. Here's Matthew chapter 5. Here's what Jesus says, beginning in verse 43. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, notice that, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. You wonder, can we really change our perspective? Can we really put ourselves in the shoes of of the man with this desperate need. I mean, sometimes a change of perspective is a pretty simple thing. Sometimes it's a challenging thing. There's a guy by the name of Michael Paul Smith who is a photographer, and he creates these realistic historical fiction pictures that are so intriguing. So here's an example of one of those pictures right here. And that's the coolest looking picture, isn't it? I mean, you got the old cars and the setting. It's just amazing. He does such a great job. But all you have to do is take a step back and change your perspective. Here's the next picture. And it looks so very different, doesn't it? Here's another example of one of his pictures he shows. The coolest thing. Somebody's moving or moving some, some kind of equipment there. And then the next picture... A whole different view, isn't it? Here's one, one other example. Here's the last one there. Don't you love how the shadow's going across there in those old cars, but then you step back? A whole different change of perspective. Is it possible that we can truly change our perspective? Imagine what it would be like for us as a church family. Imagine what would happen if we would just simply take a step back 
and make a change of perspective when we encounter somebody who's vastly different. Imagine the difference it'll make in your marriage, right? If you just take a deep breath and take a step back. Imagine the impact it could have in your family or in the neighborhood that you live in with some of the people that you work with who have a very different view of some of life, right? Imagine the impact it could have for Jesus Christ if we as a church, even as we gather together corporately or in our small groups, imagine the impact it could have if we, like Jesus asked us to do, could take a step back and be able to have a change of perspective. But this is hard to do in today's political climate, isn't it? It's really hard to do when you see things and experience things that just seem so vastly out of line with how how you've been raised or how you grew up, right? And this fear rises up with us. This fear rises up. It's like, well, i got to say something, you know, especially when it's our families. And we hear and we see the things maybe that they're choosing to do. And it's just like, like, I've got to get in their face and I've got to tell them that this is wrong and this is what's right. And I've got to make sure that they understand that. I get that. I get that fear and that uncertainty that we have. But the real question is this. As a follower of Jesus, how would Jesus approach that situation? Maybe... He would challenge us to look at it from their perspective, to show mercy to someone who is in need at that particular moment. So um, back to my wife and I, we've been married almost 40 years now, and though I still mess it up a lot, I have learned a lot more about how to see life from the perspective of my wife. And the reason is because I love her dearly. And I recognize the more that I get to know her, the more I get to understand her perspective, the greater my love for her grows. It's why relationships become so crucial in regard to all of these differences that we struggle with. Because it's easy when it's them, this group out here, right? These people. It's so easy to to just write everybody off. But when it's somebody along the road and it's a person and you see them and you see the need, when you have that relationship with them, it completely changes our perspective. So here's my encouragement to you. All I'm asking you to do is one simple thing. And that is simply this week, when you encounter whether it's a person or it's a group of people, but whoever it is that's very, very different from you and you're beginning to have that struggle, just do something to gain a different perspective. Do something to change your perspective with them. Maybe all it is is I take a, I'm about to say something, but I take a step back and I just take a deep breath and I realize, you know what? Maybe this is the person who's in the ditch, who's in desperate need, and this is the time that God wants me to show mercy. Or maybe for you, it's a willingness when you're having a conversation, particularly with somebody you know and love, that you're willing to have as your goal in that, not to kind of try to convince them that they see things wrongly, but maybe a change of perspective is merely for you to try to discover what's their perspective. 
And how do they see life at this particular moment? Maybe for you, it's somebody in your neighborhood or somebody you work with or you go to school with. You have so much difficulty, but you have to be around them a lot. Maybe a change of perspective is a deep breath in which you just try to discover something about their background, their perspective. You try to get to know them and ask them questions and begin to discover maybe here's why they have that particular view and perspective. You see, to truly see this person, to truly show mercy is to recognize that this is a person that God wants you and me to show mercy. I think that's part of the reason why last week Lucas pointed out to us you know, in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, that that was one of the few times that we ever had the name of anybody given in a parable, Lazarus. And it's being able to say, as he encouraged us, rather than calling them the poor, call them by their name. Get to know somebody. It's the relationship that changes everything. And for you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, the reality is, we don't have any other option. Because the challenge in this whole series as we study through Luke and we're seeking Christ and getting to know Him better is the fact that I've got Doug's way of thinking about life, his philosophy, his view, his you know, political position, whatever it happens to be. Here's Doug's way of it. And then here's the teaching of Jesus Christ. And the question for all of us is this. Am I going to continue to do things my way with a sprinkling of what Jesus wants every once in a while when it makes life good for me? Or am I going to be a follower of Jesus? And I'm going to say, whatever Jesus teaches and wants me to do, that's the way I'm going to live my life. But as we're learning today, you change your perspective and you will discover how to show the mercy of God. But think of the impact it can have in our lives. Think of the difference for Jesus. When we do learn to love our neighbor or our enemy, when we do learn to forgive, when we are a light, not so that our way of thinking is given to other people, but that we can be a light for Jesus Christ so people can see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven.